5% rule for learning. Learning, it seems, is optimized for both humans and machines when we can succeed around 85% of the time. From a recent paper by Wilson, Shenhav, Strachia, and Cohen, in many situations we find there is a sweet spot in which training is neither too hard nor too easy, but where learning progresses most quickly. For all of these stochastic gradient descent-based learning algorithms, we find that the optimal error rate for training is around 15.87%, or conversely, the optimal training accuracy is around 85%. In other words, if you're always successful, it's hard to know what to improve. If you constantly fail, you won't learn what works. Only when we have a mixture of success and failure can we draw a contrast between good and bad strategies. These findings agree closely with the 80% success rate found by Barak Rosenshine in his study of successful classrooms, despite coming from a completely different theoretical background. Quote, In a study of fourth grade mathematics, it was found that 82% of students' answers were correct in the classrooms with the most successful teachers, but the least successful teachers had a success rate of only 73%. A high success rate during guided practice also leads to a higher success rate when students are working on problems of their own. The research also suggests that the optimal success rate for fostering student achievement appears to be around 85%. A success rate of 85% shows that students are learning the material, but it also shows that they are being challenged. How you can apply the 85% rule. Okay, so how do you apply this? Well, imagine you're studying for a test by doing practice problems. You can apply different amounts of support to calibrate your success rate. So the absolute easiest way to solve the problems would be to do them with an open book and a worked example or solution in front of you. The hardest way to solve the problems would be to work on novel problems under test-like conditions with the book closed. The 85% rule suggests that you should fine-tune the amount of support that you use depending on the success rate you're experiencing. If you're getting more than one out of every five questions wrong, well, you probably want to work without help. If you're getting nearly all the problems right, it's time to up the difficulty. In many skills, tasks can be graded on a scale of difficulty. Piano pieces have levels assigned to the challenge they pose. Ski slopes are ranked from green to double black. Language practice can range from simple greetings to rapid-fire debate. The 85% rule suggests that growth will be maximized when we practice tasks we can succeed at roughly four-fifths of the time. The exact percentage may vary between tasks. Reading in a foreign language likely requires understanding closer to 95% of the words to not be maddeningly frustrating. John Paston has an interesting demonstration, which I linked to in the original essay, of how varying levels of English comprehension actually feel. Now, of course, part of the quantitative ambiguity is that success can be defined in various ways. A failure to understand 20% of the words in a text isn't 80% comprehension, but closer to 10%. Similarly, if you approach skiing so that you crash 20% of the times you fall down the mountain, you wouldn't make it very far without injuries. Still, I think the rule offers a fairly good heuristic. If you succeed in every attempt, you probably don't have the difficulty high enough to improve. If you fail most of the time, you'll probably make more progress if you start by picking smaller, more manageable challenges. Explanations for the 85% rule. There are many theories of optimal learning that all point to a sweet spot for difficulty. Not too easy, not too hard. 
Lev Vygotsky's zone of proximal development argues that tasks slightly beyond what we can do by ourselves, but we can do with the assistance from others, maximize learning. Walter Kinch's zone of learnability provides a similar account for text comprehension. In one study, subjects read one of two versions of a text. The first text was written to maximize understandability, with full explanations and subtitles signaling the text's organization. The second text was written without these aids, requiring students to use inferences to understand the text's meaning. In tests asking questions directly from the text, both high and low background knowledge students did better on the more coherent text. However, when given a text that required inference or problem solving, students with higher background knowledge did better than students with less background knowledge when interpreting the less coherent text. These results fit a model where if a text mostly says things you easily understand, you don't invest much effort into creating a mental model of what the text describes. In those cases, greater difficulty might be beneficial since the struggle it creates forces you to retrieve background knowledge. Now, this only works, of course, if you have the knowledge to retrieve, which is why it only worked for the higher background knowledge students. Anders Ericsson's model of deliberate practice similarly argues that when skills become automatic, we plateau at levels of ability far below our potential. To counter this, we need to return to the deliberate phase of learning. We can do this by picking harder tasks or setting higher performance goals in order to stretch ourselves. Robert Eisenberg's theory of learned industriousness suggests difficulty plays a role in motivation as well. In an experiment, one group of students was given hard puzzles to work on, and another group was carefully matched this group, but given easy puzzles for each question the first group got right, or an impossible question for each one the group got wrong. The two groups thus experienced the same success rate, but had very different expectations about the role effort played in success. For the first group, hard work often paid off. For the second group, it never did. On a subsequent puzzle task, members of the first group persisted longer than those in the second group, suggesting that they had learned to work hard at these kinds of puzzles. Learned industriousness suggests that success on hard problems can be good for us, but failure is demotivating. Once again, a sweet spot for difficulty emerges, where if we work on problems we're likely to succeed at, then that will give us motivation, but we also want them to be hard enough to encourage effort in the future. What skills are you working on? What's your current success rate? Should you be increasing the difficulty or finding ways to reduce frustration? Thanks for listening to this episode. More episodes like this can be found by searching for Scott Young Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on most other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider rating my show as it helps other people find out about it. More of my work can be found on my website at scotthyoung.com.